ho, 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 Merry Christmas, and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who and Tortured and the Sarah Jane Adventures, but let's not spoil our Christmases talking about those. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the convivial Matt. Merry Christmas, bitches! <laughs> so yes, it's our Christmas special. Uh, I think this is dropping on New Year's, uh, um, oh, Christmas Eve, yes. I believe, Matt? Christmas Eve, yes. that's right. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, so, of course, we wanted to do something Christmassy for it. We are going to be discussing the Big Finish classic, The Chimes of Midnight. See, in, um, in keeping we... with Christmas tradition, David, I've treated this yes. as an office Christmas party and I've had three pints and I'm about to start drinking loads of whiskey. Merry mm. Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas. I hope you don't have a photocopier in your in no. your house. As our friends at Married to uh, Married to Who would say, get a shift on. Yes, indeed. Ah, uh, well then, Matt. Well then. Um, how, how's your Christmas been, David? Well, I mean, it's tomorrow. Of course, I'm I'm very excited for it. Um, I'm definitely all prepared. <laughs> Have you have you been good this year? Because I heard a little rumor oh. you could be on the naughty list. Oh, uh, that, I didn't I didn't realize that was public knowledge yet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't need to address that on pod, do we? Let's yeah. let's leave that to the imagination of the listeners. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Answers on a postcard, everyone. Why is David on the naughty list this year? Yeah. Best entry gets in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I am. Even though we're joking, we're recording this, you know, the best part of a month in advance. First of December but, today. Yeah, but it must be said, I am proper excited for Christmas this I year. bought my Christmas tree this weekend. Oh, exciting times. So I bought a little one just to sit on my yeah. table because, you know, I haven't got a lot of space in the flat. Um, mm. And I wanted to get some lights to go on it. So whilst I was at the garden yeah. centre, I bought the cheapest set of lights because I thought, you know, I don't need anything special. Why do you mm. suspect they were so cheap, David? Are they shite? Matt. No, far from it. They're actually for external use and they're 30 metres long. <laughs> so they go round the tree about 35 times, then they go up the wall, the full perimeter of the ceiling several times, round every framed picture, and mostly just tucked behind the TV. <laughs> if you turn them on, you can't see the TV for glare. It's awful. Oh, amazing. Uh, always read the packaging, folks. Yeah, yeah. I just chuck all the cheap crap in a trolley and pay for it all at once. Ah, <laughs> oh, the spirit of Christmas. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> the spirit of Christmas um, is the real power of the Doctor. Yes. Uh, well, speaking of the spirit of Christmas, Matt, I've got I've got a story to tell you, a Christmas story. Because uh, last weekend, uh, my partner and I took little Zorbs out for the uh, Christmas light switch on in our, our local town. Yeah. Um, and it was an experience. Um, 
I, I won't give you the, the entire rundown of the evening's entertainment, but uh, I, I'll just let you know that it culminated in uh, a professional strongwoman uh, dressed as Louisa from Encanto, uh, delivering a rousing rendition of her song, and then pulling Santa on a vintage tractor uh, <laughs> up the high street um to, to the marketplace uh in order to switch on the lights so you know that's north yorkshire in a nutshell for you there you go that's the real meaning of christmas that's the real <laughs> power of the doctor that is indeed a, a a professional strong woman pulling santa on a vintage tractor is the real power of the doctor slash meaning of christmas Oh, this is like my first Christmas do. I'm going out for a Christmas meal tomorrow <laughs> with some friends. Work Christmas do yeah. next weekend. Like, this is it. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling it. Exciting times. Um, well, we, we, whilst, whilst we're in such a celebratory mood, shall we have ourselves um, the penultimate Weedy Big Quiz of the year. Yeah, now, I, I think I owe an apology, and I can't remember mm -hmm. who to, David. I think it might be James Courtney. I can't remember. Right. Because I think I said I was going to use their questions this week, but as is tradition, I, I like to write a set of questions for the Wheelie Big Quiz, and then traditionally we end with your set of questions. Yes, indeed. So this week, David, all the questions are from me. Right. Okay. Now, there's no real topics. It was just, what could I think of last minute? Mm -hmm. so, okay. Okay. So, are you sitting comfortably, David? I am. Okay. I think it's also important to say that the final Wheelie Big Quiz will be on our New Year's episode, at which mm -hmm. point, you know, we're going to stop promoting our charity fundraising for the year. Yeah. But, you know, we've yeah. raised... A fantastic amount. We're over £500 for Cancer Research UK. Um, we'll obviously give a final total when we start recording again in the new year, but I think I'm right in saying, currently, David, we're £2 short of all three Wheelie Big Quizzes raising £1,500. So, not a bad effort across the three years, if you ask me. No, it's, uh, it certainly isn't. And, and you know, as always enormous thank you to anyone who's chipped in even the tiniest amount towards that, that total. Yeah. You're all fantastic, lovely people. We hope you all have an amazing Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Right. David, are you ready for question one? I certainly am. Okay. Now we've had a lot of laughs on the pod this year. I think that's fair mm. to say, but of Is course, it... we've had some sad times too. So yeah. this question comes about the primary antagonist of the podcast, mm -hmm. Little Zorbs. <laughs> yeah, okay. David, earlier in the year, Little Zorbs insulted us both by calling us a name that I'm still not really over, if I'm honest. David, yeah. what was the insult given by Little Zorbs? I believe he called us stinky boys. He did. I'm still absolutely furious about that. <laughs> I scrub my skin till it's red in the shower. You shouldn't take it to heart, Matt. No, well, you know, he's a man of few words and what he says is... He is. I mean, I mean, 
uh, earlier today, he he said uh, he said to me, uh, "Dada, have you got a big fat belly?" <laughs> to which Where does he I, get I, off? I, what what's his problem? <laughs> I mean, to be to be fair, I did just have to say to him, uh, yes, I do. Wow. People come in all shapes and sizes, don't they, kid? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> honestly, if there's one person I hope has a great Christmas this year, it's little Zorbs. Uh, I think it's pretty much guaranteed. Now, in, in keeping with all the fun we've had this year, David, we obviously mm-hmm. had a lot of lows when we watched Torchwood, but a lot of highs when we watched Sarah Jane Adventures. It, yes, it, well... Comparatively, yeah, yeah. It's the equivalent to being shot in the chest or shot in the little toe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, David, I don't know if you remember the very first episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. I believe it's called Invasion of the Bane. Oh, going back a bit, but yeah. Well, that episode, David, features a character, a friend of Maria's, oh. who is subsequently written out because she's so appalled. Yeah. Can you oh. name that character? Uh, I want to say it begins with an M. I mean, it doesn't, but good guess. Oh, well, there we go. Well, I've ruled out M names anyway. Oh, I can't. Uh, uh, Gwendolyn. I have no idea. I I can't remember who, uh, what her name was. Oh, Kelsey Hooper. How how easily Kelsey. you are forgotten. Oh, thank goodness for that, eh? Now, we, we can't dodge Torchwood when we review the year, David. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about John Barrowman. Oh, if you must. I'm going to give you the title of, uh, sorry, of four John Barrowman albums. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Three of them are real. I'd like you to tell me which one you think is fake. Okay. Okay. So album number one is called Another Side. Okay. Right. Album number two is called Music, Music, Music. <laughs> Album number three is called Centre Stage. And yeah, Album okay. number four is called Sexual Misconduct Allegations. <laughs> oh, that's all so plausible. All so plausible. Um... I mean, music, music, music is ridiculous. Mm. I mean, any, anyone who thinks that that's like calling, like writing your first call and calling it book, book, book. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> like, what is, of course, it's, a, it's an album. Of course, it's music. You've got to, you've got to be more specific well, than that. the irony um, is that's his spoken word poetry album. <laughs> Okay, now that now he gets credit for that, um, the old switcheroo. Uh, I I think I'm gonna have to say sexual misconduct allegation. Yeah, that that's right. That was literally just yeah. the next thing down on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know you've hit the big time when you've got an entire section of your Wikipedia page yeah. dedicated to me, sexual misconduct me and allegations. Harry from who can convince you? have genuinely yeah. had discussions about going to see Barrowman live, and his stage <laughs> show is called I Am What I Am. And isn't that, isn't that the problem? It, yes, yeah. I mean, it's... 
it really it is it is for me the sticking point is very much not the actions themselves it, quite so much as the severe lack of remorse the 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 sense that it was all just larks and if you didn't take it as such then you know you're the problem tomfoolery that's how we refer yeah. to it yeah okay so, what a tosser well, yeah that's the problem <laughs> okay david the next question comes from a Doctor Who story I've seen, which you haven't. It comes from mm. Reign of Terror. Oh, exciting. Which yeah. I Spoilers. was lucky enough to review with Shona from My Adventures in Space and Time. I think that episode's mm -hmm. coming out soon. Spoiler if they weren't announcing that. Now, David, during the recreation of episodes from Reign of Terror, some of it's animated, mm -hmm. there is... Some scenes where they've obviously used the audio to work out what's happening. Yeah. And reanimated that. Now, there's a bit where the audio stops and the Doctor wins a fight. So the guy in charge of the animation has clearly just decided how the Doctor wins that fight without any real mm -hmm. evidence. So I'm going to give you four options to work out how the Doctor wins a fight yeah. in that episode. Specifically, th th this is the first Doctor, so I've got to picture William Hartnell doing this on screen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So, option number one. The Doctor's gun runs out of bullets, so he just throws it really hard at a man's head and knocks him out. <laughs> okay, yeah. Option number two. William Hartnell just headbutts a man. <laughs> yeah, okay. Option number three. The Doctor escapes the fight by opening an umbrella and jumping f from a window like Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. Or option number four, William Hartnell stares at a man so intently it causes his death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, again, they're all so plausible. Because this is... This is... Early who we are talking about here. And let's not forget, this is the incarnation of the Doctor where in his first story is genuinely contemplating just ca uh, just caving in someone's head with a rock. Mm. And, and, it, and, and until Ian steps in and makes him reconsider. So... <laughs> I could, I could quite easily imagine any of these happening. In some ways... <laughs> the one that would be most plausible for, say, Pertwee or Tom Baker, which is the umbrella, um, is somehow the least plausible <laughs> for William Hartnell. <laughs> I'm gonna say I I I'm really I'm really charmed by the idea of option four, also because that is the easiest to animate, and these are not high budget animations. No. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a t it's a toss up between the headbutt and the stare, but the stare made me laugh more, so I'm gonna say the stare. Uh, it's actually neither of those. Uh, his gun runs out of bullets, <laughs> and he throws it really hard at a man's head. <laughs> And, like, Shona and I just could not believe that when we watched it. <laughs> like, 
there's a bit where he's that talking is... and you can hear like a scuffle. So they've obviously used that audio as a prompt as to what's happening. Yeah. And then the yeah. audio just stops and there's dead silence. But the animation continues as the doctor really fucking leathers this gun across the room. <laughs> Man, you're making me want to uh, catch up on, on, on the Raid of Terror. Uh, it, I really should. It's it's good. It's no monster of Peladon, but it's good. Yeah. If you yeah. like William Hartnell walking across the French countryside for 25 minutes at a time, I'd recommend Raid of Terror. Sounds all right. I mean, I've been watching the Faceless Ones, which is uh, six episodes worth of of Patrick Troughton in animated form shuffling around uh, Gatwick Airport. So, What if I told you, you know, all I'm, the I'm French people in the Reign of Terror had really deep South Yorkshire accents? <laughs> I mean, I was already sold, but now I'm even more sold. Right. Hey up, Doctor. Welcome to Paris. <laughs> right, we've got two questions left, David. David, I'm going to ask you okay. the hardest question ever. Okay. Because this is the question you asked me last year, and I failed. Oh, no. Oh, God. David, what is the name of the villain in The Twin Dilemma? Oh. Would you like multiple choice? Do I get... Am I allowed multiple choice? Is it A, Mestor, B, Nestor, C, Questor, or D, Jestor? Oh... It's it's either Mestor or Nestor, isn't it? That is and where what... I got hung up last year. Oh, yeah. David, how the shoe yeah. is on the other turntable. Yeah. I want to say Mestor. Well, it turns out you know the Twin Dilemma more than I do, David. <laughs> and I've not even read the novelisation. No, no, I have twice. Mm. Right, one more question, David. And this is the second hardest question ever, because this is the question you did get correct last year, but it took some shuffling. Okay. Okay. David, it's Christmas. A time for friendship, a time for love. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to name every member of the Marty McLean Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. <sighs> by my by my working out, I think there's seven, but I might have forgotten oh, some okay. Right, okay. Um... Well, we recently inducted Marty himself. Correct. So, um, Jessica Wemmel. Correct. First ever member. Yeah. Sonia. Correct. Uh, is Marie in there? Marie is. You've got two to yeah. go. Mm. Oh, you've got three, sorry. Okay. I think that both both the Jameses. No, just James Swift. Yeah. Just James, James Courtney's not made it yet. No, because okay. he hasn't donated this year to the Wheelie Big Quiz. Jacobus <sighs> X has. Jacobus X has been so generous, David. Yeah. You've got two if to only, go. If only... Yeah. Um, right. Ooh. I know, I, now I feel really, really bad for any of our loyal listeners who are members of the uh, I'll give Hall you a of Fame who are blanking The on. remaining two are not loyal listeners. <laughs> There'll be people that you... Are they just people you inducted as a gag? No, no, no. No, they're just... Uh, oh. Do you want a little clue? Yeah, go on. One of them is our oldest podcast friends. 
Oh, um, so is it the entire Married to Who gang? The entire Married to Who gang are there. So there's one oh. missing, David. Okay. Now, I listen back, and this is the one you struggled with last year. Oh, dear. Um, I'm, I think well, I'm still struggling. I think you're going to have to tell me, Matt, unless you can give me a hint. Um, I'll give you a clue. Uh, he was yeah. recently accused of having a big fat belly. <laughs> Is it me? It's you. <laughs> I always forget that I'm in the in the hall of fame. Yeah, yeah, you're too big for that. Yeah, yeah clearly. Well, well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And with that, who knows? You know. What else have we got to do, David, except move on and review The Chimes of Midnight? Yeah. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without The Chimes of Midnight, would it, man? Um, I mean, I've gone 36 Christmases without it. Hopefully go 36 more without it. <sighs> okay, well, come on then. Tell me what you think. Uh, bonus episodes. We're not going beat for beat on this, but uh, good episode, bad episode. What did you think of this one, Matt? It's bloody good, isn't it? It is good. It is. it is good. So, for that context... Rob Shearman, for, he knows how to write, doesn't he? Yeah, for context, normally, when we do bonus episodes and we do Big Finish, I mm-hmm. lay on my sofa, headphones on, totally focused. I listened to this when I went to visit my partner, who lives an hour's drive away. So I listened right. to the first half on the drive there, the second half on the drive home, and yeah... Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, it, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus Christ. Oh. Sorry. I, th- I thought my house was so sad it was going to kill me then. <laughs> whoa. A lot of sadness in this house. You just back off a second house. <laughs> I listened to the so- first half of this going, what a mystery. I cannot make head nor tail of this. I, you know, I was all in. I was like, what is going on here? Tur- mm-hmm. Turns out the house is alive and it hates everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're sad, it makes your house sad. Yeah. And your house will kill you. I, I mean, it's a little more complex than that, but... <laughs> But sure, um, I, I suppose also we should we should let listeners know that we're going to spoil this episode a bit. Oh uh, yeah! By the way, if you've never listened yeah. to this, it's about an evil house yeah. that hates yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You're welcome. Uh, um, as I say, it, it is a li- it is a little more complex than that. Uh, but but yeah, sure. Broadly speaking, um, so uh, for anyone, so you know the the, the basic premise here um, that. I really like I really like the way it sort of tees things up initially as though we're just going to be getting a kind of upstairs downstairs um turn of the 20th century um kind of setting and initially it it almost sounds like it's going to be a farce you know like something out of woodhouse mm. Um, but with maybe, you know, a sort of Agatha Christie murder mystery sheen to it. <clears throat> and it's only really as it goes on and 
you start the way the way Rob Shearman plays around with repetition uh, and banal statements that carry that that are sort of weighed down with subtext. It, it, it reminded me a lot yeah. of the David Tennant River Song episode where they're talking in correspondence. Because mm. here you've got the same scene twice, but, you know, at different points in time. And the first yeah. episode oh, oh. I really thought was the strongest. I really like the mm. idea of you get a scene and there's something in the scene slightly out of place. Then you get a second scene that explains that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the, it just the way things sort of replay themselves. And uh, and uh, I really just, I love that it's jet black humour that Rob Shearman does. It, it's, he he's a very funny writer, but you have to be in tune with, with that pretty grim sense of humour oh, to yeah. really get much pleasure out of it, I think. But you know the 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 ways in which the the deaths keep happening. My favourite being uh, the chauffeur that somehow driven over himself. Yeah, like some of the deaths um, are farcical, aren't they? Yes, yeah, but they are played entirely straight. And I think one of the real strengths of this is the guest cast are one hundred percent committed. You know, they're not playing it like a comedy. You know, that they play it with deadly seriousness. So when they are saying inc- utterly absurd things like, oh, you know, Edith's so stupid, she mustn't have realised that it was impossible for her to drown herself. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they deliver that with, with a sense of absolute truth, um, which makes it all the creepier and all the funnier. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, I think it's not hard to see why this is such a beloved Big Finish production. Yeah. And I Um, I don't know, I I don't know if it's the right word to use, but of all the Big Finish we've listened to, this, this one seemed to have, again, I don't, I can't think of a better word other than this seemed to have the most purpose. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't know quite how to describe it, but like, mm. I don't know. It, it just, like you say, well, everybody... it feels like it's. Go on, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, well, it, it, it it's actually saying something. Mm. You know, it's making really important points about class structures and self-esteem, and. Mm what it means to be alive, what it means to not be alive. Um, you know, big, heady stuff. And, and, but it does that in, but in a way that is accessible, but quirky and interesting, you know. Um, and also, it does a very good job, I think, of... This is the first of, uh, uh, you know the initial run of stories with the eighth doctor and Charlie, where Charlie's storyline really starts to kick into gear. And we're starting to see some of the consequences of the paradox that the doctor has caused by taking her out of what should have been a fixed point in time. Mm 
and, you know, rescuing her from what should have been her point of death. Um, which is a really, a really simple but really effective way to make the companion significant. And it's kind of the sort of thing that Moffat would do a lot of with his companions. You know, they're not just people. They are people who crazy time shenanigans will happen around because they are, quote-unquote, important in some mysterious way that we'll figure out later. Um, I'm sure he would have loved to do this as a stop, as a plot line for a companion if Big Finish hadn't beaten him to the punch. Yeah, I, I think I think it would be interesting. And, I mean, uh, I'm assuming there's lots and lots. But I'd quite like to mm. see the resolution of Charlie's story. Yeah, there is... There's a lot that you would have to... We've... <laughs> Yeah, like we've kind of seen I'm trying to think. the beginning and then this midpoint where we get some gravitas to her story. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think what we would, if we wanted to continue that, what we would do, whether we would attempt Zagreus or whether we'd skip over all of that and go to her absolute final story with the Eighth Doctor. Like, Zagreus is like my bad wolf. Everyone mentions it. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I hear this word. Yeah. It's in the background. Um, I just don't know what it is. Some, Okay, some people really love it. I've listened to it once, and I hated it, Matt. I hated Zagreus. Wow. And, you know, you know me. I'm, I'm someone who always... Uh, you know, I stick up for the Chimdal era. I will, I will quite happily try and defend... A lot of Doctor Who. <laughs> I find Zagreus indefensible. Wow. I think I think it is it's what something like I don't know, three hours long, or at least it feels like it's three hours long. And it's just interminable gobbledygook. Right. <laughs> so well, um, to bring this back on track, yeah. one thing that isn't yes. interminable gobbledygook is is Paul McGann, man. He's perfect. God. He really is, isn't he? Like, he, uh, I mean, we, we've we seen his inception in the movie. Yeah. And we've seen yeah. his first story when we looked at that one. But here, mm -hmm. we get, like, his playfulness. There's, I, mm -hmm. I get the feeling, like, he really does see himself as the logical next step from McCoy's Doctor. I see a lot of that in this mm -hmm. performance. Mm -hmm. You know... Maybe not the nasty, sinister side of McCoy, but the playfulness <coughs> and joking. Like, uh, uh, yeah. Just give me And you more. just get these... The, yeah, and you just get these moments where where he where he drops and, and, and the serious side comes out. You know, his showdown at the end with, um, the, the, with Edward Grove embodying Shaughnessy and... It's just the two of them kind of going at it, having this really deep, dark, philosophical conversation on what it means to be alive. And, yeah, man, he he commits so much. He And also, let's be honest, that Big Finish, we're very lucky with him, that he just has a gorgeous voice. Uh, we, we've got like, to petition to get him to do the CBB's bedtime story. 
Oh, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd fall asleep to that. Yeah. There is a really, there is just a lovely sort of mellifluousness to his delivery that is so right, so good for audio. Um, and yeah, at this stage, you can tell he's comfortable with the role. He's comfortable with India Fisher as Charlie. I think they're a great pairing. They, they are genuinely one of my favourite uh, Doctor Companion pairings. Eight and Charlie. Yeah, um, I think they just yeah. play off each other really well. Um, and yeah, it's it's. I I have very very few nits I can pick about this one. About I'll tell you what the biggest criticism I have of uh, Chimes of Midnight is the fact that, and you might not even believe me when I tell you this, Matt. It was released in February. Are you kidding? I'm not. I have no idea what Big Finish were thinking with that. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, what is the thinking there? To be fair, when this came out, the whole Christmas special was not a tradition within Doctor Who. Right. You know, um, it wasn't like... Because um, I'm pretty certain this is pre... New Who, this release, or more or less concurrent with the start. Let me just double check the dates on here. 2002, so Feb February 2002, so we're about three years out from, from uh, Eccleston. Mm -hmm. So, fair enough, there is no established Christmas special tradition within Doctor Who at this point, but this is so clearly begging for a December release. Yeah. You know... They, they At this stage, they were just doing one a month, simplest thing in the world, to get this lined up for December. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Right. Because it is, it's proper Christmassy. Yeah. You know, all the references to, to, to Christmas Eve and plum pudding and all the rest of it, 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 it works uh, as an atmospheric Christmas David, ghost tale. You're lucky I got held behind at work tonight because my plan was to buy a full Christmas pudding and eat it as part of this <laughs> recording. Because the idea of dying by eating too much Christmas pudding, I mean, I'm not saying I've seen my own death, but that's how I'm going out. <laughs> uh, I, it's certainly one of the more plausible ways for me as, as well. As soon as that clock ticks over to December. I've had three mince yeah. pies tonight. I've already had Christmas pudding in the middle of November. Like, yeah. forget all the party food. Just give me... Mm. Like, I don't know how many calories are in a mince pie, but I had yeah. three, and that's me for the week. I'm like, I need to oh bask on a hot rock like a snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, little tip to all of our American listeners, because I don't think that you, 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 you do it, but... Get yourself a Christmas pudding this year. Yeah. You must be able to, some by hook or by crook, get yourself a Christmas pudding. You won't regret it. Get get some mince pies and have them the mm. same ratio as you would meat Weetabix to milk, but do it with cream. Just a big yes. bowl of cream with yeah. uh, mince pies. Mm. Good God. Right. Should we address the plot quickly? <laughs> um... Yeah, I think so. We've talked around it a bit, but um, yeah, you want to kick us off? Right. 
Long story short, the Doctor and Charlie are trying to get to Singapore. They land in an old house. They realise it's Christmas. Uh, Charlie writes her name in some dust and it disappears. And in the first episode, we kind of work out that there's some entity stopping them from entering time, as it were. At the same time, yes. we're introduced yeah. to a secondary cast of Edith, who is a maid in this house. The master, mm -hmm. Mr. Shaughnessy. The chief maid, Mrs. Badley. Um, I think there's a couple of others. There's the chauffeur and Mary, who are having an affair yes, so, and hope for better for each yeah. other. Yeah, so, so Mary is the sort of lady-in-waiting. Um, the sort of... Uh, the, the, you know the lady servant, if you like, um, and and whereas, and therefore much more high status than Edith, who is a scullery maid, who's who's literally there to scrub the floors and and what have you, um, and it, this 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 story really digs deep into those sorts of the absurd below stairs hierarchies of uh wealthy british households of that era you know the idea that that the butler you know though not though not a you know a noble by any stretch he is still essentially lord of uh, lord of below the stairs yeah and has has this right to basically pull rank on everyone and and you know, be be quite odious, and they weren't all like that. But of course, they had the power to do that if that's how they wished to behave, and that is, of course, how Shaughnessy is in in this story. Um, and, and I think th th this to me, this is this is the sort of the thematic underpinning of this story is one of status and self worth. <laughs> you know. Um, and and you could you could write essays on it to be honest, in how it it kind of teases apart those themes. So once they've landed and you know introduced themselves, uh, Edith drowns in the bath and dies, mm -hmm. which is really oh it's it's the sink, isn't it? She's 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 washing the pots and pans and somehow drowns herself in the sink. That's right, that's right. But it's ruled yeah. as suicide. Yes. Okay. Despite being impossible. The doctor tells everyone he's from Scotland Yard, is he's investigating. Mm -hmm. And when they split yeah. up, uh, Mrs. Badley tries to force feed Charlie some plum pudding. Yes, yeah. And we get this weird moment where Charlie seems to sort of revert into a little girl mm. and like her, her her voice changes and charlie's previously mentioned that she doesn't even like plum pudding and then all of a sudden she's like oh yes it's my favorite you know basically like she's sort of lost control of herself and she's being forced into this role mm. um everyone that's accused <clears throat> of murder has shifty eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It. Um. 
it's yeah this is where you start to really get this this uncanniness and you start to well there's a repeated phrase uh that shaughnessy uses when talking to the other staff which is we are nothing we are nobody Mm. because uh, he's saying it in the context of compared to those upstairs we are worthless and basically we're doing our job right if we're basically not even being noticed um but there's also this double meaning here which is that they're genuinely they're not real people you know they're being held in stasis and they're not they're not whole um and so you get this sense of um when 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 the doctor and charlie are interviewing them all about who's done it like this this semi-sentient house is trying to concoct a story but it it has almost nothing to to work on so it just reverts back to to kind of going with whatever the doctor and charlie seem to be suggesting yes and it it can't it can't back it up with anything more than oh yeah they've got shifty eyes (laughs) you know so it's oh what am I trying to think? Of? Do you remember? Have you watched much Rick and Morty? Um, all but the latest series, I think. Mm. So you're familiar with the with the episode where Jerry gets trapped inside a uh, simulation. Yes. Yeah. And, do- and doesn't even realise that it's a simulation. It's sort of like that. It feels like like it's it's a badly programmed simulation that, that Charlie and, and, and the Doctor are in. Um, Charlie notices that all the murders seem to happen as the clock strikes on the hour. Mm-hmm. But there doesn't seem to be an hour between each murder, so they deduce time is speeding up. Yeah. And when they ask Shaughnessy for his pocket watch, he refuses... And mm-hmm. he pulls a gun on them. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's like it's like the the program protecting itself. It's you know, um, there's no rational reason why Shaughnessy wouldn't in that situation just be quite happy to hand over his pocket watch to his his, you know, his betters and superiors. But in this instance, goes to the drastic extreme of pulling a gun. Because whatever is controlling him is just like, nope, this needs to stop. So when they eventually get the pocket watch, it goes a little bit crazy. So they call everybody together um, Mm -hmm. because they want to see who's next. And when the clock strikes midnight, sorry, when the clock strikes midnight, they realise... Everything goes back to normal, except for Edith, rather than drowning, she's been suffocated by a plunger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Charlie talks to Edith's ghost, who says Edward Grove is alive. And mm-hmm. through everything else, we work out that the name of the house is Edward Grove. So, yeah, I, I simplified and trivialised it earlier, but basically... When something really sad happens, it remains almost as a sense memory. And mm. if 
enough sadness happens you know the memory becomes that strong that it persists and that place is like cursed basically well that's that's the the sort of the theory that the doctor tosses out and says you know maybe there's some truth to that we find out later that there's actually there's a whole other layer to it mm. on top of that but yeah um then in the final part basically everything that's going wrong is a massive paradox because charlie should have died the doctor saved her mm. edith killed herself because she later became a servant under charlie's mm. household charlie was yeah. the only person that was ever nice to her so when yeah. charlie was reported dead edith wasn't allowed to mourn her friend mm. because she was simply a servant so she commits suicide on christmas eve what what i find is it, i i think this is genuine this is this is a proper powerful bit of writing because i think in the hands of a lesser writer your instinct might have been for Charlie to suddenly remember and be like, oh, yes, of course, Edith, how could I have forgotten you? We were such good mates. And and, and, and and that gives it more emotional weight. But actually, I think in reality, this the, what we get here ha carries even more emotional weight because it's entirely one-sided. There's this additional layer of tragedy, which is that the, the tiny kindnesses that Charlie showed towards... Edith were the closest she had to a serious friendship. Whereas to Charlie, they meant absolutely nothing. Mm. She was just trying to be friendly and polite, you know. So, um, but I, I thought yeah, that I was think... an interesting character trait that, like, yeah. obviously, I don't know that much about Charlie, but she's almost like carelessly kind. That's just who she is she's just kind yeah. indiscriminately yes yeah i think there's some truth to that bowing one just one moment Matt, i just need to let the cat out and and but but as well with that you know this script in particular, it's not shying away from the fact that Charlie is someone who was who who is who was a very kind, very lovely person, but was also born into a life of privilege. Yes. You know, and so there is a degree of lack of understanding, I think. Of of some of the real hardships. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about her her character arc is at through exploring with the doctor, she gets to see a, a much bigger and more diverse world than the one she was born into. Yes. And she gets to see people for whom life is much more of a struggle. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you see, you see what I mean? There's, there's, there is proper depth here. You know, this isn't just tossed off glorified fan fiction. You know, no, 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 far from it. If you, if you, if you, if you shot this for TV, 
it it would have been a really impactful couple of hours of drama. Like I I, um, I know I always joke that I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but yeah. sometimes Doctor Who, the show as well as this, it when it has something to say, it usually does it pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a very powerful storytelling engine, mm. and it, it it's it's not always used effectively, but um, th- there is a lot to be said for just having the simple premise of having someone who is very intelligent, who is able to walk into difficult situations and figure out a solution in the end, but along the way has to do a lot of research, has to get to know the people involved. And so you just, you get these windows into other worlds, be they worlds of the past, be they worlds imagined. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. This is why I, I love the show, Matt. <laughs> you know, this is the reason why it's stories like this. Now, you know, I, I, I the reason why. Do you love the show enough to tell a house to kill itself? <laughs> you, ever, you ever told a house to commit suicide? I haven't, but if that house was being an absolute dick, yeah. I'd consider it. So, yeah, basically, the, the doctor says the best thing to do because the house has gained some form of existence of quote-unquote life... That it's not supposed to be alive, so it should end itself. And eventually he reaches out to Charlie and convinces her, because she's all over the place at this point, doesn't know whether to die or live. And mm-hmm. convinces her to live, who convinces Edith to live. And that breaks this paradox that's going on. Yeah. And in the closing scene, to make sure everything's okay... They go back to the original point in which they landed. Everything's kind of as it should be. And they just praise Edith for doing good work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, it's a very small but sweet ending. And I love that they sort of... Charlie forces Shaughnessy to actually convey their, their praise to Edith. And, you, you, you know, he... He can barely utter the words, yeah. but it but it, it immediately it means the world to Edith, and you know she has this this belief in herself that she never had before because she's not nobody, she's not nothing, she's a human being, and 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 being a human being has intrinsic value, and that's what this story is trying to tell to everyone listening to it. You. You are alive, and that's magical and wonderful and important, and something that that's worth fighting for. Yeah. Um, so for all of its darkness, I think it is a very beautiful and uplifting message. And again, perfect for Christmas. <laughs> so why Big Finish put it out in February? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But it but it has become a lot of Doctor Who people's traditions. In some ways, I think it is. You know, it, it, it definitely stands up there with the best of the New Who Christmas specials as something that is really well worth just throwing on if you're feeling like you want something a bit 
you know, a bit spooky and a bit Doctor Who-y and a bit Christmassy. Yeah. It absolutely fits the bill. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you had a good time with this one, Matt, because I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you would just find the sort of repetitiousness of it annoying because it does, it does make a lot of use of repetition in the same way that, you know, a lot of Theatre of the Absurd, you know, um, a lot of Samuel Beckett and Harold Pinter and that, that those kind of writers will use repetitious dialogue in a way to kind of twist the meaning every time it comes back. Um, and it does that very effectively, but and that's not everyone's cup of tea. So uh, I, I am I'm genuinely glad you had a good time with this one. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, and fingers crossed we'll have a good time next week as well, because we've got another bonus episode coming for you uh, next week, listeners. New Year's Eve. We are going to be uh, tackling the Five-ish Doctors reboot, which I've never seen. I don't know what's coming with that, so we'll give it. A go. You know what? I barely know as well. I it's one of those things where it's like, I know people really like it. People say it's a lot of fun, and I've just always. Do you know when you just save stuff for yourself? Yeah. For 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 longer than you should, but you've just decided. I know I'm going to like this. I want it to be a treat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? We've completed New Who. <laughs> what, you know, if we don't deserve a treat on New Year's Eve, uh, on the year that we completed New Who, when do we? So so fingers crossed, hopefully, that we, we will find it to be a treat. Because, you know what, if we don't like it, we, we, we'll end the year on a downer. <laughs> I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I'm sh- I, I'm confident we'll have a good time with it I think so do join us next week for that listeners but until then as always uh, thank you so much for listening and Merry Christmas bye now Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.